The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at standingstonesupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. It's also called scent-specific trailing because we're looking only for the one person. So in the test, the judge would hand me um, a jar that has a cloth that the trail layer has had on their person for an hour. I will have him smell that cloth and he will distinguish between everyone else that has come and gone from the bus stop and the cars and dog walkers and whatever else and follow the path of just that one person. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. My guest for this episode is Melissa Stagnaro, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff uh, pertaining to search and rescue and how that should be an option or consideration for you, even if you just have a quote unquote uh, hunting dog. But Melissa, I'm excited to have you on. This actually goes back, uh, what, two and a half years or so ago when you attended the first GDIY training camp. So I'm glad that you kind of circled back around and, and checked in with me recently. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I had attended before I got my short hair puppy. And so it was a great uh, overview and introduction, seeing, you know, different dogs, seeing some different methods. It was a fun weekend. It's funny because I actually bring you up in conversations quite often uh, when we talk about tracking dogs or somebody's really asking, you know, what a, a good tracking dog looks like. And I give the example because of your dog, uh, your Dutch Shepherd, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a here in a little bit, because that was my first exposure to a Dutchie. And the demonstration, I think it was at lunch one day that we did that little uh, sent my buddy Jacob out in the middle of the woods and you sent sent your dog after it. And it was just really surprising and, and impressive for a lot of people that don't come from that side of the dog world, right? Yeah. So there's a there's there's no closed season on hunting men. So you know what we're <laughs> going to talk about a little bit later. If you want to train your dog to track and trail uh, people, then uh, you can have lots of fun with it. 
Absolutely. And so that's what we're here to talk about is we're going to be talking a lot of tracking uh, people as well as uh, you you alluded to the fact that you now have a, a, a bird dog, you have a short hair. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to know, how do you how does somebody just fall into a Dutch Shepherd? How do you fall into the tracking community as a whole? Oh, well, I've been um, competing in dog sports for about 25 years uh, with all different breeds. And um, so I wanted to dabble in protection sports. So a good trainer told me if you want to understand aggression when working with dogs, you really need to know the positive use of aggression. So you either need to try the protection sports or herding. So when it's appropriate for the dog to put its mouth on a person or or livestock. And I wasn't too much into herding. So I got the Dutch Shepherd and I did protection sports and did did tracking and did competitive search and rescue that we'll be talking about a little bit later. So in the dog sport area tracking and man trailing are two different activities so tracking when you use it for either competitive search and rescue or a lot of the protection sports have a tracking element it's tight end tight in footstep to footstep tracking so the practical use of this is most often with a police dog that the dog is set on a fairly fresh human track and the dog is able to show precisely where the person went and will stop and alert to any dropped items. So it could be a lost wallet. It could be, you know, the bloody knife is tossed because they don't want to be found with it. Um, So in the process of tracking the human, they're also going to let you know if the human drops something or objects along that path, just in case there's evidence and stuff to be recovered. Right. And it could be for a lost person too. You know, we think we're on on the on the path of someone and oh, we found a purple sock. Oh, does that is that what they were wearing this morning when they wandered off of the house? So trailing is a little bit different in that trailing uses ground disturbance, which is what tracking does. Trailing also uses contact odor, so that might be familiar with some of your listeners who are uh, blood tracking deer, right? So if a deer's fur brushes up against a bush or something, oftentimes a blood tracker dog will smell where the deer had contact with a stump or a brush as it was wandering off. And so man trailing, you also get air scent. So for most of our tests, or the short ones, we leave the victim in place for an hour. For the longer ones, we don't make them stay in place for, for eight or 24 hours. We just bring them back. <laughs> Go out in the woods and sit there for 24 hours. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Although some people do when they're really getting into it and really want a strong dog, they'll coordinate in my area with folks hiking through hiking the Appalachian Trail. So they'll say, you know, I'm going to start and then you can get a 24 hour you know, age track to time it, you know, if they're having their rest day or whatnot. And then a man trailer will also work vapor. So, you know, when it's like very cold out, sometimes when a person or a deer or a dog is walking, you can kind of see the heat come off their body if the lighting is right. So just having that visual of the odor is also coming off their body 
So a man trailing dog is using all these four scents to try to get to the trail layer. So they could come upon a dropped item, but they're not necessarily on the footfalls. So man trailers can work for much longer aged trails than a, than a tracking dog. A tracking dog, we want pretty precise, right on the footsteps. And a trailing dog can use the wind, use uh, some blown odor, some contact odor. So in other words, picture like somebody's, uh, let's just picture the beach, like somebody's leaving footprints or mud or whatever. There's a straight line. If you're tracking, you want that dog on that line that the person you're tracking uh, actually walked. And then trailing, it's fine. They can kind of run parallel if they're playing the wind or thermals or something in their favor. Right. And so with your beach analogy, picture like some sand dunes. So maybe the wind coming off the water, the strongest odor could very well be stuck on the sand dunes. Uh, not in the footfall. And so I've been doing the the precision tracking for many years. The man trailing is new for me. And as I got into the bird dog work, I saw a lot of parallels. Um, a lot of folks, you know, through the, the NAVDA or the German testing system are teaching dogs to trail the running pheasant. So that's quite a similar exercise to find a person and I reached out to you because there's folks in my training group that have VCs or UT dogs that they don't want to continue. And they're, the dogs are three or four, you know, very young. You know, they're not interested in some of the other testing uh, and trialing venues. And you have this great dog, a lot of training on it. The person enjoys training. So what else to do? So the sport search and rescue is uh, great for almost all breeds. But the, the retrievers, the spaniels, the pointing type dogs have a lot of the skills already. So if someone wanted to add this activity of looking for actual, for either actual lost people or just doing it in a sport context, the listeners with bird dogs have, have a real leg up. And so it's, it's really, it's not even so much telling them, I mean, obviously we're going to get into the the scenarios to where this might be useful uh, in society as a whole and, and what kind of opportunities there are for each individual person or, or dog team. But if you're just sitting there, say, you know, we, we've all kind of been there with our dogs to where, you know, maybe they, you know, three, four, five, six years old, whatever, fill in the blank. And you've kind of, I don't know, uh, satisfied your testing or trialing career with that dog and you're just kind of like, well, my dog's quote unquote finished. I know that's kind of a dirty term for a lot of people in the dog world. And, but you're just looking for that next challenge, that next objective, uh, to take on with your dog that will be fun for both, both members, but also teach the dog something that is an obvious benefit to society as we'll get into, but also not interfere with all the preparation and training that has gotten them to the level of bird hunting that they've gotten to. Is that correct? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So, so I'm the vice president of ARSA, which is American Rutten Hood Sport Association. So this is a internationally recognized activity. The technical name for it is IPOR, R for rescue. So it's somewhat new to the U.S., but there have been um, clubs and competitions for decades now. And there's technically six, but for practicality, uh, four 
sent options that someone could choose. Some of them might be a little more in conflict with an active hunting bird dog, and some of them definitely less so. So the precision tracking that we talked about, um, where the dog is tight in on the footfalls, it's probably not going to be too much of a conflict between the dog off-leash and questing and you know, searching for birds or in a duck blind retrieving a fallen duck. Man trailing is is quite similar, and a lot of folks enjoy doing man trailing and blood tracking both in unison, um, where the dog is really understanding how to work scent, whether it's from a, a wounded uh, large game animal or a person. There is a area search, where it's, it could be a wooded area that there would be one, two, or three hidden people in. So this one certainly could have some mental conflict for an active hunting bird dog, uh, but a lot of folks have done both successfully. You can wear different equipment, different cues. Certainly at the, at the club level, the dog will know that this is where we do the lost person in the wood activity. There's also a, a rubble, so picture a collapsed building, and there's one, two, or three people stuck in this collapsed building. Um, that probably wouldn't have too much conflict. Oftentimes at these rubble training sites, there could be critters living amongst the concrete. But what we would want is the value of finding the person so rewarding that a mouse or a rat in the next tunnel over isn't going to be as intriguing because they're going to get such a benefit from finding the person. There's also an avalanche uh, test. So, you know, where the dog is digging in the snow to unearth the person. And there's a water test, which actually doesn't have any scent work. Um, all breeds can do it, but picture the Labrador or the Newfoundland jumping off a boat, swimming with a life preserver to a person that's pretending to be drowning. So those are those are the six options. So this is a sport that has its foundation in real search and rescue. Uh, pretty much everywhere other than the U.S., the standards that we use for our competitive uh, events are the same standards that you would get in a community search and rescue team. Uh, but in the U.S., we kind of like to go things on our own. So this international standard is not very often utilized in the U.S. Um, so if someone wanted to start with this and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it for real or for sport, there's nothing in conflict with the activities that would preclude you from finding an actual person. And like, like you said, it, I mean, it, sorry to interrupt you, but it, like, like you said, I mean, if people are listening to this and they're concerned, like, well, I've done all this work to get my dog up to a certain caliber of bird hunting and they're concerned about the, the crossover like you said, you can change things up, different cues, different equipment. You know, dogs learn by association. And so, you know, if you go in and you start training this stuff and every time you start training with a harness where previously that dog's never been on a harness, so to speak, uh, that's a that's a big enough difference where that dog understands these dogs are smarter than what we give them credit for it a lot of the times. They can distinguish the difference when you're out trying to bird hunt and you have a shotgun and an upland vest involved and you're out there actually trying to track or trail, and then that's when you have your tracking harness clipped to the dog, right? Like, you know, it's really not that big of a jump for the dog to figure it out. Yeah, I would say, if anything, uh, the concern would be the other direction, because sometimes we have folks that have 
bird hunting companion dog and they want to do actual search and rescue. So sometimes in that direction, there's a little bit of a concern that, you know, you're sending your dog to clear this sector of woods and they might get distracted by a bird. So, you know, maybe that might just be a hole in their training. You know, that might be something that could be worked out, no problem. Um, like I said, the tracking and the man trailing and the rubble, you know, it looks very different from bird hunting. Um, the avalanche in the water too, but those aren't quite as common. Um, but the great thing about this activity is there's three levels of sport and then there's a fourth mission ready. So if you have a dog, you know, you went through whatever system, your dog already knows how to heal, how to do a downstay, understands retrieve, understands directionals, has a lot of body awareness. You can come over to the sport and prepare, we'll help you prepare. And if on test day, there's wild turkeys <laughs> where you're supposed to find a person and the dog goes and says, I'm just going to find wild turkeys today. The great thing is there's not an actual lost person. You know, so you don't have to have, you know, oh, is it ethical to put my dog out here, you know, when little Timmy's really missing? This is this is a sport. So, <laughs> right. you know, some of some of the dogs might have a little bit of thunderphobia. Well, so that's not great for an actual search and rescue dog because inevitably people get lost when the weather is terrible. You know, or sometimes dogs have, you know, very low heat tolerance or whatever. But so it's OK because this is a sport. So you could enter the competition or not enter. And then if you notice your dog is getting too overheated, if you were actually deploying him on a mission, you might feel a lot of pressure to keep the dog working. And but since it's a sport, you just call your dog in, you tell the judge, thank you. And then they call the lost person back. So, you know, some actual SAR folks that I train with you know, doing the sport is excellent for them because they don't have so much pressure. You know, they don't have that urgency and, and the parent or whatever, you know, help find my child, help find my elderly relative that's walked off, that there's so much pressure that sometimes they and the dog want to work on the skills in a realistic setting, but without that big, big burden of, oh my gosh, a person is actually lost. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's kind of like our hunt tests and everything. It's it's supposed to reflect, you know, a real case scenario. But in this case, like it probably reflects an actual scenario uh, a, a little bit more closer. So like, but it's still a simulation. So you don't have to go out there and be burdened with the fact like, oh, man, if my dog gets distracted by, in your analogy or situation, uh, wild turkeys, you know, you're not sitting there like, oh, little Timmy, you know, <laughs> tough tough luck, you know, the turkey's out there and, and, you know, (laughs) the dog cares more about that. But that's also probably why y'all have different tiers on sports, but as well as like a mission ready, uh, I I don't know, certification, is that the right word for it? So the, the mission ready is, is hardcore. You know, you have to pass first aid courses. You're carrying all the food and water for you and the dog. You have to know about, you know, biological pathogens. So that's like, you're legit. You are, uh, if you agree, you are a search and rescue team for the United Nations. And so if there's an international disaster, you know, you could be asked to come. So the, the mission ready is full out legit. 
the three levels of sport, they're as serious as you want to make them. Yeah. You know, if, if you think, oh, geez, the, I've seen turkeys here at this trial site. Oh, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even enter. But you, you could go out here and do this. And then if you flush, you know, you, you could drop a pin on the map and be like, you know what? I'm going to turkey hunt this next spring or, or <laughs> you flush a grouse on the way through the woods or something like, all right, I'm going to come back here and check this out. But, uh, you know, it, when, when Timmy's life isn't on the line, so to speak, uh, so can just any citizen get this certification or do you have to go through an organization and, and the testing, or is it just kind of like if you get into this, you really like it, you you enjoy the sporting of it, you want to actually take it serious. Yeah, I'm assuming there's just like a certification event held by the UN that you can go do. How does that work? Right. So to do the mission ready test through us, there's a lot of resources that need to be in place, multiple judges, it's so many acres, it's a whole big thing. But if your listeners are intrigued by this and they've always wanted to volunteer their time for search and rescue. Um, they could definitely reach out to us for some from training guidance, but if they want to be helping in their local community, oftentimes the search and rescue, it's a, the volunteer groups will be maybe the name of the county or the name of the area search and rescue, or sometimes it's under the sheriff's department. So as I mentioned, our testing is an international standard, um, but in the U.S., often communities choose their own standards. So there's a few big umbrella search and rescue groups in the U.S., and they'll have, they'll have training events, they'll have testing events, and you could say, oh, my dog has been certified by such and such organization. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely does. So I want to circle back to you, you mentioned if you decide to get into this and say you do have the dog that gets distracted by those turkeys. They get distracted by the whichever winged feathered creature uh, that, that that's out there. You said that we we can work on that. We can fix that. I, I don't know if this is a, a short enough answer or, resp you know, response to this question for you, but if if we do have that scenario, how would one possibly go about addressing that without taking away the the bird drive? Right. Well, so I'll say what I've choose, chosen for myself with my short hair. I'm, I'm playing in NAVDA. I will play in AKC. I want to try some of the shoot to retrieve. So for me, I think he would be capable of distinguishing person in the woods versus a bird in the woods. But I don't know that I want to fight that battle. I, maybe I will when he's older, uh, but I've chosen to do man trailing with him. So in this system, it's a suburban and urban trail. Uh, for the test, you would start in front of a bus stop, in front of a convenience store, in front of a shopping center, some busy, busy place where there's many people coming and going. So the dog, it's also called scent-specific trailing because we're looking only for the one person. So in the test, the judge would hand me um, a jar that has a cloth that the trail layer has had on their person for an hour. I will have him smell that cloth and he will distinguish between everyone else that has come and gone from the bus stop and the cars and dog walkers and whatever else and follow the path of just that one person. So there could be pigeons in an urban or suburban area. 
so if he were to point the pigeon momentarily, I would just say, all right, fine, good boy, get back to work. No, no big deal in training or a test. Um, he is certified through a different organization. And my test supposed to be in an urban area. So I figured, oh, yeah, maybe we just have some pigeons. I got the foreshadowing. Our start article was a, a goth rubber ducky. So the person had this, you know, little rubber ducky, but it was painted like goth. That was our, <laughs> that was the item I got from the person who laid the trail. Did it and squeak? I don't know. <laughs> my, my dog did not put his teeth on it, thankfully. And the beginning of the trail, we went through this bit of grass outside a shopping mall that was full of goose poo and all these, all these geese. And at first I didn't trust him. Like, oh, and so on the, on the GPS, I actually, I took him back to restart him. Cause I was like, are you sure she went this way? Or we just after the geese, but he was, he was dead on it. And at the very end, we were just approached about to get to her. There was a retention pond with a duck sitting in the retention pond and he had given me his near proximity alert, telling me she's quite near. Um, I didn't know she where she was. This was a double blind, so neither I nor the evaluator knows. That's why we look at the GPS later to make it a true test. Um, and his nose was toward toward the trail layer, and he was veering a little bit toward the duck. And he's like, "Nope, nope, I'm gonna finish it up." Um, so that was, ducks are his favorite. So that was, that was good for me to see that, you know, he could have gone and played with that duck, but he, <laughs> he understood his job well enough that I had rewarded him enough for finding the person that he really wanted to finish it off and earn that reward. That's saying a lot because getting a reward higher than maybe the, the reward of finding a duck or getting a, a bird in your mouth. That's saying a lot when you have a truly, you know, genetic bird dog that you're trying to train and you're also doing this at the same time as trying to train it as a bird dog. I mean, that's that just the discrimination or discriminating nose feature of that is really impressive for a young dog. Yeah. I mean, I think at least for him and for a lot of dogs, it's the act of hunting, right? So he's happy hunting a person. He, you know, he gets some intrinsic joy out of out of that. So we do have a party and there's a celebration when he gets to the person. But just the act of hunting when he was very young, I probably did this all wrong. But when I would put out birds for him when he was quite young, he would track me to the launcher. <laughs> you know, he, he, he just enjoyed any sort of any sort of hunting. It's almost like a game form to where, you know, you can do this with obviously without people or even birds, you know, you can find a high value, a toy or bone or something, go hide it. And dogs get that reward just from the stimulus of searching, using their nose, trying to problem solve. You know, we talk about the mentality or the mental side of the dogs is just as important, if not more important than the physical side. A lot of the times these dogs really require that opportunity to think and discriminate and learn all in one go. And so, you know, if you can tap into that, then you, you, you're off to the races, it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, if he had gotten distracted by the geese at the beginning or the duck at the end, then that would have been information from me that he's 
not yet at this point reliable enough to look for an actual lost person. Or maybe he would never be reliable. So that's just information. But that, you know, that wouldn't preclude him from doing this sport. So we could still play it hunting humans when it's, uh, you know, not the right time to hunt other game. <laughs> right. Well, real quick, did he avoid the goose and the duck for good reason? Did he pass this particular test? Yep. Yep. So that same weekend, he was certified for both fields, so like a wooded environment as well as an urban environment. So nice. So d- by by him discriminating against the birds, he he got the reward at the end either way. So. <laughs> Uh, I got to ask, you know, what? It, obviously you're doing it when somebody kind of looks into this, maybe they go to a, an event or, or just starts checking it out. Predominantly, like, what are the breeds that make this up? Is it a healthy variety? It, do you primarily see, you know, breeds such as your Dutch or Mouths or something like that? Or are there a lot more people doing this with sporting breeds than what maybe we realize? Um, it's a lot of dependent on your area. So in my area, there's a lot of Malinois, German Shepherd, Dutch Shepherd. We have a, an awesome contingent of some really great working American Pitbull Terriers. But, you know, then we also have Toy Poodle, <laughs> Short-Legged Terriers, Livestock Guardian Breeds, Golden Retrievers, Labradors. So we have quite a mix. And so to get certified, do they need to have any type of pedigree registration requirements or can you just go if you get a cool rescue from, you know, the pound or, or any type of rescue, you have no idea what what genetic makeup it has. Are you able to go get certified and participate in this as well? So for our club trials, every dog is welcome. Uh, intact, spade, papers, no papers, doesn't matter. Uh, for our championship, the same holds. We welcome any breed, all breeds. And in fact, we've had different breeds and breed types as champions in the past. We are also affiliated with the FCI, which is an international dog organization that oversees kennel clubs pretty much everywhere except Canada and the U.S., So we have the ability through our relationship with the FCI to send an American team to go to the FCI championships for sports search and rescue. So for that, uh, you would need to have an FCI breed. So that would be either an AKC breed, you know, AKC pedigree, Canadian Kennel Club pedigree, or, you know, some people are importing dogs with FCI papers. So to actually attend the FCI championship, you do need to have uh, FCI accepted papers. But for all of our club trials uh, and also for our championship, we just want the best dog to win regardless of the breed. So as long as it's a dog, go out and have fun. So somebody listening to this, besides the you know the obvious concern, which we already touched on, on, on the crossover between birds and, and man trailing and, and all that stuff, they might be asking like, well, what's the purpose of it? You know, it's like I can go train my bird dog to hunt birds. That obviously leads into bird hunting. There's an end goal and purpose beyond just trialing or testing and competition. What are some of the scenarios that if somebody was to get involved in this sport, maybe they're testing, maybe they actually get certified, kind of talk about some of the scenarios that they may find themselves in or at least opportunities 
or avenues to go down to where they can actually utilize the skill set in the real world. So before I touch on the real world, I will say some people just like the camaraderie of meeting at a dog club, you know, once a week, once every few times a month or whatever. And they like the structure. They like they want new things to teach their dog. That's why, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, well, teach them, you know, different tricks. So I mean, there's nothing wrong with tricks. But, you know, you can also impress all your friends by teaching your dog to walk a ladder. Right. So, you know, so there's some just kind of social benefit. You're getting your dog out. They're staying social. You're having to work them around other dogs, um, around loud noises. You're teaching them, you know, different tasks. You know, usually after training days, dogs are very mentally satiated. The same with after like a bird dog training day. So, you know, there's that aspect too. So even if you, you know, don't even want to compete, but, you know, you might want to have fun training with a group of friends. As far as some real world applications, um, there's nothing in the in the sport that would conflict with actual search and rescue. So, you know, in, in one of the, the sport search and rescue clubs, the local uh, sheriff's department came and watched their training days a few times and said, wow, this is a great community resource. If we need help on a call out, can we call you out? And yep, their dogs were were called out for some missing person cases. Um, and they were there because the sheriff's department saw how well prepared their dogs were. Um, you know, some folks with man trailing, they like to be self-sufficient. You know, if they have, you know, a family member that sometimes wanders off, you know, it could be their child or could be an elderly adult, you know, they don't want to have to call somebody. You know, they you can use these same training techniques to train your own personal dog to be there on the spot. It's particularly easy if your dog is only finding, you know, your handful of family members. Um, so if somebody like maybe has a grandparent or, or their their parents are getting elderly and, you know, maybe suffering from dementia of some sort and they're prone to just wander off sometimes and forget how to get back home, you know, obviously uh, nurse, nursing homes and, and stuff like that uh, come across this on occasion, but even even myself, you know, I have the the toddler that's just recently learned how to open doors. And so those first few times that you realize that, oh, she knows how to open doors, you know, it's just like, well, let's go look. And, you know, she's out front playing in her playhouse. But, uh, you know, sometimes things happen when you just look the opposite way. And it's nice to have that that tool set or skill set at your disposal in case it's needed. For sure. And I mean, this is probably going to be your experience, too. You know, when you realize all of our dogs, you know, have smelled explosives, have have tracked where we have gone, where a loved one has gone, but we've never asked them to tell us about it, right? So they already can do all these things. They can already detect all these odors. They can already uh, track and trail us. They can already tell us, you know, where we left the cell phone, but we've just never bothered to ask them to communicate it back. And, you know, sometimes, especially the, the bird dogs that, you know, have, have a high need for stimulation, you know, this can build a better bond with them. You know, no, I, I need you to show me where, where my child has walked off to. I need you to show me where I left my cell phone. One of the drills that, that I do whenever I get a chance is a friend that will have 
kids that will have a play date in the same neighborhood. So that's a very easy way to get aging, right? So I'll start them at their house and sort of like a runaway walk-off scenario. And then, you know, or if they're having a sleepover or whatever, so then I will trail them to their neighborhood friend's house. And generally the kids think it's so cool up until they get about teenage years, then it's not so cool that that we're able to track in all their <laughs> movements. But uh, <laughs> they they yep, sneak yep. out in the middle of the night. You ain't getting very far in the neighborhood anymore. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, and and so obviously, you know, the 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 loved ones wandering off. It happens. You know, we we've all if if you've watched any kind of. Uh, television show of the police or or uh, game warden shows or whatever that have canines. There's always that episode where an elderly, you know, dementia patient from uh, a nursing home escapes. But there's also real world uh, application for, as you described earlier, the rubble. You know, how many times per year do you see an area just get ravaged by a tornado or hurricane or, you know, other parts of the world kind of is more concerned with some terrorist activities than fortunately we have to kind of contend with over here in the U S but there's been obvious cases that that's been a thing to where when that happens and we're all just sitting here like, man, I wish I could help. This could afford you the Avenue to get out and actually go help with, with something that you've really just enjoyed and had fun preparing your dog for and, and developing that skill set. You can actually put it to the test and provide a service to the community, so to speak. Yep. So I will say for someone who's just in training or even accomplished the first three levels of sport, then if you were to volunteer your services, you need to be very clear about your your capabilities and your dog's capabilities. So the mission ready is you've been certified, you know, you you know how to wear protective equipment, you know how to walk safely on a rubble pile. Um, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because that's how this whole thing started. There were uh, floods in, uh, mud floods in Armenia in the late 1980s. And all of these well-meaning people, some search and rescue, some paramedics, some nurses, all different people went there on the spot to assist. And it was very difficult to coordinate all of these volunteers and it's hard to say, oh, my dog is really good at finding lost people. I, you know, what does that really mean, right? <laughs> um, so actually, that's how this all came about. So uh, an organization called the International Rescue Dog Organization was created. They paired up with the FCI, the, this International Club of Clubs, and worked with the United Nations and came up with the standards that we use today. So you know, you could say to someone, oh, my dog, you know, is a level one man trailer dog. And these are international standards. So everyone would understand, you know, the dog might be capable of more, but at least we know what tests they passed. It's a way of standardizing it, you know, is it's a very good point to bring up because I mean, in the bird dog world, you hear all the time, like, oh, my dog can <laughs> do X, Y, and Z. Then you go out in the field and it's like, it, 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 it struggles at X, not even Y and Z, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, it, it's like, it's all fun and games when you're talking about bird hunting and bird trialing. But when you're talking about actually, if, if people are counting on you to clear a sector for searching for humans under rubble, they need to be able to, uh, for sure, 
check that off the box or check that off the map so that they don't waste resources covering ground that you already went through. And so like, if you're actually going to do it, you you need to actually have that true skill set beyond just you claiming like, Oh, you know, my dog, my dog is, you know, tracked a pheasant at the, at the NAVDA NA test. Let me help out. Yeah. And, um, the rubble in particular, because there are safety concerns for humans, you know, so that's part of the test. So when I when I did my my advanced rubble work with my Dutch Shepherd, right, I had to be I had to be wearing safety equipment. I had to be aware of the hazards on the pile and direct him to safer areas. And he had to know how to balance. So, you know, you've probably seen like the agility teeter-totter. Right. So we have something similar in search and rescue, but the goal is not to run as fast as you can and hit the contact point. The goal is, you know, the building might collapse from under you. So we need to walk, walk to the center point, then test it out, see if it'll hold your weight before you go forward. But, you know, you might get really into training, especially, you know, your example of the rubble work um, for the beginner rubble work. There's lots of places where you could train. It's not too cumbersome as far as the amount of stuff, but for the intermediate and advanced level, they're pretty big piles. So you and your dog uh, at training days or seminars, you're sure to meet people on Task Force 1, Task Force 2, insert your state name here. And they might look at your dog and say, wow, that that dog's really nice. Um, Maybe like come over to our just our FEMA training days and, you know, are you more interested in getting more involved? Yeah, I mean, it's really just a testament to, again, you know, not only are we training dogs, but we have to focus on our duties as the handler as well. You know, you get in those environments. It's not only, you know, it, it's it's kind of like the first rule of, of any type of recovery of anything or, or if you're trying to help people, you can't help people if, if you go down trying to help them, you know, it, you have to actually be safe for you and your dog so that you can be helpful and serve other people and find other people. So, uh, that's really interesting that, you know, you guys obviously have certain things that you as handlers are responsible for just further than just the dog going out there and using his nose and, and pattern recognition ultimately. Yeah. And I will, I will throw something in that, you know, might intrigue some of your listeners. So we have at the competitions, you could do just scent work. If you're like, oh, I don't want to do healing and downstays, nuts to that. You could do just the scent work, but the full program has an obedience dexterity component and also the scent component. So one of the obedience, I, I mentioned that the latter is one of the dexterity components. One of the obedience components is actually a carry. So the end picture, I send my dog onto a small table. I pick him up. I walk him uh, about 10 steps. In the air, I transfer him to you and you walk him another 10 steps and you put him down. So, you know, that's that's a big safety issue. Let's say my dog and I were both on the rubble pile and we both get injured. Is he well-trained enough and temperamentally sound enough that some other person can carry him and take him down. You know, so that's one of the that's one of the safety things we have we have a 
you know, very straightforward healing. You know, you move straight, you left turn, right turn, about turn, fast, slow, normal, halt, normal healing thing. We also have healing around other dogs, you know, so we don't want the dog that wants to fight with other dogs. And we also don't want the dog that, you know, if you say heal, that means we can't be playing with the other dog because we're in work mode now. You know, we also have a healing task where they have to heal over what they call unpleasant surface. So it might be like a piece of chain link on the ground uh, laying down. It might be, you know, some tires and a tarp and a wooden pallet, you know. So can you and the dog choose a nice path over this and still be under control and the dog is not nervous? The dog knows where his hind end is and can maneuver this small obstacle. So we do have a lot of, you know, safety tasks too. Um, Like I mentioned, the teeter-totter, that used to be an obstacle a few rule iterations back. But now we have um, a plank. So the beginner level is just a plank on some cinder blocks or something else where it won't move. The dog jumps up, mounts it, and halts. And then the dog walks across as you walk with it. The intermediate level, it's the same, uh, same, but instead the plank is on like some rain barrels or oil barrels. So it's going to move as the dog's forward momentum goes to mount it. But can the dog be in control enough, halt, and then by that time it stopped moving and then proceed forward? And the advanced, it's similar of a plank, but it's on a swing. So when the dog mounts, there's quite a lot of movement there now. And then as the dog dismounts, there's again that momentum. So that's the other really fun thing about the sport search and rescue, right? You're working their mind, you're working their body awareness. Um, you know, you're doing the standard, the healing, a retrieve, some directional work, but there's so many different components that people really enjoy training. You know, if, if, you know, the healing has kind of uh, got you down, well, switch over to the directional work, switch over to the ladder, you know, mix it up. It's, it's hard to be bored because there's so many different elements. Yeah. And what, once again, you know, re- recently on the podcast, the subject of the obstacle course and or confidence course has come up a number of times. I recently did an episode on that. So once again, it pops up, but it must be nice because you didn't really have to worry about the the healing portion because you got to just tell them that you won the healing competition at the GDIY <laughs> training camp, right? <laughs> I remember when you did that, we all looked at each other like, well, this isn't even a fair competition. <laughs> but I will say that different organizations, whether it's NAVDA or like AKC retriever walk-ups or sports search and rescue have different definitions of healing. So, you know, so someone who's maybe just only been exposed to what NAVDA has defined healing as might be like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> a little bit different, but, but no worries, you know, we can get you there. And, um, and if you, if you're thinking, oh, that just doesn't sound fun, you can still come and do the scent work. You can still do the tracking, the trailing, the wilderness search. Um, if you have the facility, the rubble, the avalanche, the water. So, I mean, it all sounds great. It's it like you said at the start of this, it's, it's kind of another thing. If you really enjoy training your dog and working your dog and developing skill sets, this is just another opportunity for you. That's not going to infringe on, on your bird hunting specifically. So, 
you know, it, it's it sounds like it's a great uh, or admirable in a lot of ways if you really take it serious avenue to go with your dog. I'm curious with you switching over to a German Shorthair, uh, what's your experience been like going into the bird realm of this? You know, have you, uh, what are your plans as far as bird hunting with your dog or, or is it primarily still the search and rescue uh, or have you kind of, has anything hooked you in terms of what you want to try with your short hair outside of the SAR stuff? Yeah. So as a concept, I'm all in favor of hunting. So as the walking through woods and it's hot or it's cold, and I don't know if I'm going to find anything, I'm a little bit more attracted to like the shoot to retrieve, you know, okay. someone put out a handful of birds <laughs> and then I, and then that's what we're going to do. Um, but I have, you know, I have this bird dog, so I want to, you know, experience everything I can with him. I did take him out last fall to Wyoming. His first ever uh, wild bird that he pointed was a different species. He pointed a sage grouse, which is super cool. Nice. We didn't shoot at the sage grouse because their numbers are, you know, a bit low. Uh, but we did, he did point and we shot uh, Huns and Chucker. So that was super fun. Um, I did get him out a little bit on Woodcock uh, here in the Mid-Atlantic area. And we've also two seasons been out in Minnesota doing some Woodcock banding. Um, and so this fall, my understanding is if someone were to come to the Maryland, Virginia area to hunt, they would be doing sea duck hunting. So I decided that's what I would do with him this fall. So we are going sea duck hunting in November because he's not quite the icebreaker sort of chubby Labrador. <laughs> so we're going to start early in the season um, and we're going to try sea duck hunting. That's awesome. I, I mean, I, I really appreciate and enjoy talking to people such as yourself to where like, even though you, as you just said, you're not really like the most hardcore hunter, it's, it's because the dog, you know, that's what the dog does. It's what it wants to do. And so you're just going to participate just like you, you came to the training camp before you even had a bird dog, just to kind of start learning and, and explore the, the subject before getting into it. It's neat to hear people such as yourself that just get into it for the love of dogs and dog training. And that's already taking you all across the country doing things such as sage grouse and hunt and sharp tail hunting. And then, you know, now the sea duck challenge, it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about in SAR. If one thing doesn't really appeal to you, there's 50 million other things that you can try. And it's just trying to find that right road or, or path to go down with your dog. For sure. I mean, you know, so I, this is the first bird dog I've gotten. So I purposely chose a different breed because I wanted to yeah, experience new things. And he does learn differently than other breeds I've had in the past. So it's kind of keeping me on my toes. Now, that's awesome. You'll have to keep me uh, up to date how that journey goes with the sea duck stuff. I'd be really interested in hearing about that. But as we start wrapping this up, I'd like to know, you know, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can uh, find the association, the ARSA. And uh, of course, I'll have the links down in the show notes. But also, is there anything else that perhaps we didn't touch on that's worth mentioning? No, I think we've covered everything. Yes. Yeah, so we have a website. It's a searchandrescuesport.org. We have a Facebook site. We have an Instagram site. Uh, we can link to all of that. Uh, we have a, a mock trial coming up um, for those in the mid-Atlantic area. Anyone can come and watch. 
Um, and there's a, a club trial and then a championship trial, both this fall after the mock trial down in North Carolina. Um, and in the, in the greater DC area, we will be having an intro to man trailing seminar. Um, we're still working out the final details, but that'll be the first week of December. So anyone interested, um, feel free to come and join us. Well, Melissa, I, I really enjoy getting to explore this uh, this new sport and new subject overall for me. I, I like kind of dipping my toes outside of just the bird dog field on occasion, but uh, this was a lot of fun exploring it. And, you know, listeners stick around for the outro. But um, again, Melissa, thanks for reaching back out, circling back around and reconnecting and, and coming on and sharing some of your knowledge and just general information on a on a sport that most listeners of this podcast probably aren't familiar with thank you so much for having me on well i hope everybody enjoyed that episode presented by standing stone supply dc systems onyx hunt final rise and upland gun company uh getting to catch up with melissa a little bit was a lot of fun hearing about something a little different with what she has going on with the search and rescue and and really, you know, I think it, it, it could be appealing to a lot of people in the gun dog space. You know, it's it doesn't have to be one or the other, as you guys just listened to. And as she described, the training can kind of complement each other. At the very least, have some overlap depending on your goals and, and each individual dog. But also, you know, over the years, as I've seen some people kind of come into the space, they get into it with one or two dogs. You know, they go through the testing programs, they accomplish their goals. And outside of just waiting for hunting season, some guys I, I've talked to where they just kind of say they they lost some direction or purpose in the off season with their dogs, you know, if they've already tested out of everything. So this could be a, a fun little option that you can go do with your dog that that can complement a lot of the skills and training that you've already done, and but also just be a lot of fun and, and kind of give you something to work towards and, and reinstill that sense of purpose with your dog and, and the goals within the training on the, in the off season, it's just something to consider. And, and if you have any interest by all means, you know, go hit the the link in the show notes. That'll take you right there to, uh, to the organizations and Melissa and ask more questions and figure out how you can get involved in the next steps and all that fun stuff. I do know that Melissa linked up with Jim over at bird dog society. From my understanding, they're going to do another sort of webinar sometime next year. So there'll be more information coming through bird dog society on that which if you catch the bird dog society updates that we do every single month just kind of telling everybody what they have going on be on the lookout i'm sure you'll hear about that event coming up soon if you have any interest but uh the bird dog society they're doing good things they're catching catching uh some uh momentum they're they're getting more people signed up so if you haven't already check them out by all means do so they do a lot of cool things and have a lot of good ideas that uh that the bird dog space you know, it, it's good to get it out there and let everybody know that there's other opportunities. If you're having issues trying to locate educational resources or you just have some questions or something, they have all kinds of different topics and webinars and guests coming on board. So yeah, be, be sure to check that out or at the very least just hit play on the next Bird Dog Society update, which is usually the first Thursday of every month. That's what we plan on doing. So with all that being said, I'm going to wrap this up real quick outro this week. Uh, if you haven't already, please hit subscribe and share with a friend. That's all I'm going to hit you on. I'm not going to talk about anything else. Just hit subscribe so you can catch the next episode. 
And if you enjoyed this one or there's another episode that really stands out to you that's your favorite, a, a guest, a topic, what have you, please consider sharing that with a friend. Go share it on social media. That's the the best way that you can help this podcast out if you have if you find any value or entertainment in in the show whatsoever, just by hitting share, it is very quick. It's it's obviously cheap and, and it goes a long way. And I definitely appreciate that. So that with that being said, appreciate everybody for hitting download and listening as always. And uh, we'll be talking soon on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.